Welcome to No Life to Lager. This is a show about lager beer, the brewers that make it, and we who drink it. This is a conversation between two people over one pint. No Life to Lager! No Life to Lager! My name is Adam Zuniga. I'm an advanced Cicerone, part of the creative team behind the six most metal breweries and beer like in Das Movie. Today, my guest is Sam Tierney. He is the brewery manager at The Propagator, Firestone Walker's research and development brew pub in Venice Beach, California. We are drinking fluff head powerful pills at 5.4% ABV. To you, Sam, cheers and welcome, my friend. Cheers. Thanks, Adam. Thank you for joining. It is most meaningful to have Firestone Walker here. Before we get into it, can you tell us about the beer in our hands? What is Power Pills? So Fluffhead Powerful Pills is um, our kind of fanciful way of uh, describing what's really more or less a a pretty solid traditional German Pilsner. Um, We had Urban Roots from up in Sacramento come on down and uh, Matt met up with uh, those guys here, uh, Peter and Rob from Urban Roots. And we came up with this Pilsner recipe that is, you know, very heavily influenced by the approach that Peter's taken at Urban Roots over the last few years and kind of fusing it with how we brew here at the Propagator. And yeah, it's just, uh, you know, German malt and all German hops and, um, you know, going for a nice firm hoppiness, but in a more traditional German way, uh, you know, we're known for kind of innovating that more Italian Pilsner style with Pivo um, going back years now. And uh, this is a little bit different of an approach, so a little bit more of a traditionalist German approach. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the powerful pills reference is because, um, those guys are both big fish fans and, uh, they had to come up with a fish reference. So I knew there it. There you go. I yeah. knew it. Um, I'm going to say you are in a, well, first and foremost, we are developing no life, no life to lager to be all inclusive and welcoming all different types of music, but you are in a den of metal heads. And it's interesting. It came up on our previous episode with, um, Kevin Davy at Wayfinder. I think the craft beer industry is basically split 50-50 between fish and non-fish. <laughs> Jam bands <laughs> and like otherwise. Yeah. 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 Um, but in any case, shout out to, of course, you named Matt Brindleton, uh, the brewmaster at Firestone Walker, Urban Roots Brewing in Sacramento, California. And I just have to say, above all, I love what you're doing with all the small batch research and development brews at the Propagator. Uh, I tasted the, I think it was Stevo, the unfiltered Keller Pilsner you did with Russian River about a year ago. And just uh, all the art around the can and, of course, the contents within, I think very creative. So thank you very much for sharing. Um, Let's talk about you. Let's go back to the beginning. Can you tell us about yourself? Who are you? Um, sure. Well, uh, I grew up in Santa Cruz up, uh, closer to Northern California and, uh, I've kind of been making my way down South over the years. Um, I went to college in UC Santa Barbara, started homebrewing, got really into beer. And then I just kind of, by the time I graduated college, I, I studied political science, but I kind of knew that's what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I just found craft beer really compelling. This is the, you know, the late aughts. And I feel like we were just start kind of turning the corner into the, the uh the boom that's lasted the last decade here and uh it just felt like a really exciting fun thing to do 
And I just love the process of making beer, the creativity, the science behind it, and kind of fusing the two together. And uh, yeah, so I went to brewing school at Siebel. And um, not too long after that, I got the interview at Firestone after looking for a job for a while, a few interviews, and it just seemed like a really great opportunity. And so 2011, uh, spring of 2011, I started Firestone, started as a shift brewer, did that for about three years, kind of rotating around the different uh, shifts. And then um, did our yeast specialist position for a while, or we call it QC brewer. So handling yeast propagation and harvest and kind of special attention projects in the brewery. And that kind of led to me kind of geeking out on these small batch things, these kind of unique opportunities that came along. And uh, when we opened the propagator, it seemed like a really interesting opportunity to kind of explore that more. Um, at the time, though, I didn't move down here. So we opened in 2016 here at the Propagator. And um, in that same year, I was promoted to seller manager up in Paso. And I was really excited to take that on, get some management experience. And, um, and, you know, and we were growing so fast at the time. So there were so many great challenges, commissioning new equipment, growing the staff. Um, you know, I think that was in the process when 805 was just really on a tear at the time. And it was just like, okay, how do we maintain, you know, superior quality beer while brewing more and more beer? And, you know, it, it's a process that hasn't really stopped for us, um, you know, to this day. But I just love the focus on quality and consistency. But at the same time, always in the back of my mind, wanted to scratch that itch of, you know, helping develop more new stuff and work on that. And um, we've always had a collaborative effort when it comes to R&D. You know, it's, Matt's a very... Um, you know, he's, he's always known over the years what he wanted to do for a lot of the beers that we've done. And so, you know, we, the team has always just helped bring these things to life. And I think over the years, you know, we, as craft beers evolved, we saw the need to just do more and more. So we never actually had a real pilot brewery and we opened here in 2016 and we had a couple brewers before me. And then I came down here in 2019. So I kind of like uh, came full circle back to a more kind of geeky homebrew approach where it's like, okay, what kind of new stuff are we going to do? What new techniques are we going to try? You know, what trends are we going to explore? Um, so I've been here since 2019. And um, in the process, we developed this new series of cans that we're doing now of which Fluffhead's a part of. And uh, so we're getting these small releases out into the world, but then we also continue to innovate products that we know are going to blow up, um, you know, for the wider audience or, you know, just small batch stuff that we want to do. So I guess that's kind of the, the quick course through everything. So it's been 12 years of Firestone, just shy of 12 years now. Happy 12 years. And congratulations. I, I've, of course, been to the mothership the Firestone Walker Production Brewery in Paso Robles. Um, I've been to your Barrel Works program in Buellton which is like going to church, uh, the barrel room there, eerily quiet yet surrounded by life. It's absolutely beautiful. And of course, uh, the propagator is my neighbor in Venice, uh, Venice Beach. So I'm really grateful you have a research and development facility here. Um, more about you, just how did you get into beer and brewing in the first place? Was there a moment? Was there an epiphany? Was there a first beer and kind of what prompted you to go from there ultimately to the Siebel Institute in Chicago and then on to Firestone Walker? Well, yeah, I mean, it. I think it starts, you know, innocently enough, you're at a college party and, you know, let's say you're not quite 21 and, you know, I didn't really like beer at the time. Um, I had the kind of light beers that were the norm, you know, whatever. And then I had a Newcastle and a kind of light bulb went off in my head. And it's funny, I mean, I haven't even seen Newcastle in a very long time. Um, I'm not sure what the status of that beer is now, but, uh, but when I was in college, it was this exotic, it's an import, it's dark. It's got this like malty, nutty sweetness to it. I didn't know, really know what to make of it. So that was the first beer I had where I said, okay, this is 
actually kind of tasty. I kind of like this. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I want to drink light beer, but I think I kind of like this. Um, so yeah, that led to one thing and another. And then all of a sudden it was, you know, Sam Adams and Firestone DBA. You know, like I said, I, I went to college in Santa Barbara. So that was, you know, Firestone's home territory. And uh, so, yeah, I was exposed to Firestone, you know, pretty early on. And yeah, I got into, you know, IPAs. I mean, you know, Stone was influential, you know, Stone IPA and Ruination were really big. So I started to learn to love hops, you know, within short order. And um, when I was a junior in college, I studied abroad in Sweden for a semester. And so that was kind of when I started really geeking out where I was like, oh, like I need to look up what all these beers are that are the store because I've never heard of any of these. And if I want to try new beers, I should know what I'm drinking. So I started, you know, going down the internet rabbit hole, beer sites, you know, rate beer, beer advocate, um, all kinds of homebrew forums. I just want to learn as much as I could about beer. And then I got really seriously into homebrewing kind of when I came back and, um, yeah. And then just kind of went the full on beer geek, I guess, you know, I just feel like at the time it was, um, you know, it may be, you can be nostalgic for that, that era of when you first got into craft beer, right? It's like, you know, how was craft beer when I got into it? Well, it was this idyllic place where everyone was just excited and happy and, you know, the industry was, it was boundless growth. And, you know, so it's just kind of funny looking back on that time, but, um, but I really, I mean, beer was just so compelling for me. It was this, it was culture, it was art, it was all these things coming together. And, um, and also it was, um, it wasn't very mainstream, right? It was a little bit of a niche thing. And I think, um, the audience of craft beer has broadened a lot since then, I think much for the better, obviously, um, for people who work at breweries, you know, um, but, um, but yeah, it was definitely this really fun experience going to bottle shares, meeting up with other people who shared the passion, you know, going to homebrew club stuff. And, you know, I never got too active in a homebrew club, but I always loved that too. Um, the, the times I did get to do that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Um, I mean, that was just. You know, I think by the time I graduated college, like I said, um, I also spent a little time on the East Coast. I, uh, the UC Center in Washington, D.C., is uh, you can do a, a quarter there from any of the University of California schools. So I did that. Like I said, I was studying political science, and that was my last kind of effort to see if maybe getting into the political realm was for me. And all I did was, like, explore breweries and, like, try to do more beer stuff while I was there the whole time. And I, I could tell. I was like, my heart's not in this whole political thing. I think, you know, I got to be a brewer. So... That well, I love the fork in the road between going into brewing or politics. I think you ultimately made the right choice. And everything you said about the craft beer industry in its early days, it it is and was and does still ring true. Um, I share those sentiments. It's funny. It's like talking about the early days of the internet with boundless optimism and opportunity. Yeah. Um, and I also had that same moment with Newcastle, you know, with just a group of friends trying to figure out what is this? Why does it taste the way it does? Is there caffeine in this? You know, all these beers change things. And then we go down the rabbit hole of wanting more yeah. and more flavor to get away from lighter and lighter beers. But I think the path of any consumer and any beer drinker kind of comes full circle because here we are talking about lager again years later. Um, Tell us more about Firestone Walker. I know we kind of have the general setup between Paso Robles, Buellton, and Venice Beach. Uh, just tell us about the brewery itself. You mentioned the commitment to quality. Who is Firestone Walker? So Firestone has been around since 96. Uh, it was started by Adam Firestone, David Walker, who are brother-in-laws. So that's where the name comes from. And they started at the Firestone Family Winery down in Santa Barbara County. And then after a few years there, they were looking to grow and they got the opportunity to buy the facility that they're in now in Paso. So we've got a pretty big compound now. It started as one building, though. Um, and it was just this uh, brewery that had just um, gone under and basically they were you know, getting a good deal on the brewery as it existed at the time. And um, yeah, they took that over. And luckily for them, 
And, you know, it's like we all love telling the story. It's uh, they inherited Matt Bernaldson just on a whim, essentially. So, you know, he was the head brewer of uh, the previous brewery. And so, yeah, so they got him and they said, well, we've already got a head brewer here, so let's keep him on. And uh, yeah, they, they kind of slowly grew from there. Um, Double Barrel Ale was the first flagship, and that was kind of the core beer for many years as an English-style pale ale. And we fermented in oak barrels uh, called the Firestone Union System, which is based on the Burton Union System, which was an oak barrel fermentation system that existed in England and um, is only carried on by one brewery, which is Marston's Brewing now. Um, so yeah, that was a really unique thing that we pioneered and, and kept going for a long time. And we still do unfiltered double barrel ale, but, um, but DBA isn't the flagship anymore. And, and sadly the kind of English pale, you know, Amber style has, has not, uh, kept up like it used to, but, um, but yeah, you know, over the years we introduced different things. So we had Firestone lager pretty early on, which was a hella style lager and we brewed that for many years. But then as IPAs became more popular, um, we introduced Union Jack IPA. I think that was, uh, the end of 2006. Um, and then, so, yeah. So by the time I started union Jack was definitely, you know, our most ambitious, uh, growing beer at the time. And, um, and yeah, but then we did get back into lager. Um, you know, so we weren't actually doing any year round lagers when I started in 2011, we were doing Oktoberfest once a year, you know, a American style Oktoberfest. Um, and then we introduced Pivo not too long after that. So now, you know, so we've been brewing Pivo since I think that would have been like 2013. And, um, yeah. And then, you know, we had Firestone Lager came back for a while, but sadly, um, it just went away again. Um, but now we have our Cerveza Lager. So, you know, we're making actually a, a decent amount of lager. Um, so 805 Cerveza um, has become one of the bigger products in our portfolio. But our flagship beer, as most people will know, um, or not, because actually some people kind of disassociate the two brands. But 805, which is a Wandale, is our flagship beer now. And, yeah. um, you know, that's been definitely our our, our number one seller for um you know, probably the last half decade. Yeah. Um, so two things. I mean, we have to give a shout out to Pivo Pills. And one of my favorite beers, long standing, long running. So much love for Pivo Pills. Uh, can you demystify it for a moment? I know people say it is in the Italian Pilsner style um, because it's dry hopped with noble hops. Is that true? Was that the intention? Yeah. So, um, you know, it's funny. At the time, like, we didn't have a word for it, you know? Yeah. Um, it was just, it was hoppy, Pivo hoppy pills. And we just wanted to signify to people, okay, this is based on a German Pilsner, but we're going to approach hopping a little bit differently. Right? We're this West Coast IPA brewery, you know, we make tons of dry hop beers, you know. So, I mean, at the time it was like Pale 31, Union Jack. And, um, you know, it was like, this was like core. We were making lots of hoppy pale ale. And then we wanted to introduce a Pilsner that had a little bit of that flair. And, um, and so what happened was at some point over traveling over to Europe, Matt had a Perficio Italiano's Tipa Pills. And Tipa Pills is this, you know, dry hopped German style kind of Pilsner in, in Northern Italy. And, you know, Perificio Italiano, I think, you know, if you listen to the way they tell it, they were just kind of doing a German Pilsner and they thought, well, you know, it's, I like the character of I had a little dry hop and he kind of learned that from English brewers. And so it's just kind of this like mashup of different uh, techniques coming together because obviously in Germany, dry hopping is incredibly rare. You know, I mean, obviously now there's craft beer in Germany and, and they make IPAs, but, you know, back then, I mean, there may have been a few German Pilsners that were dry hopped, but nobody talked about it. And it was incredibly rare. And most German brewers saw dry hopping as not even compliant with the, the Rhein Heights Kaput. So, you know, yeah. it's like, 
there's I, I I've heard both things there. I've heard that it is and it isn't, but I think now it's generally accepted that it's okay. They still a lot of tradition that don't like doing it. Um, so yeah, so we just thought, okay, well, we're going to dry hop it. So we did a couple test batches and I remember thinking when we first brewed it, you know, I was pretty young at the time. Uh, I wasn't really involved in the recipe formulation process as one of the, the younger shippers. And I just remember drinking the beer and going like, oh, this is great. I, I really think we've got something here. This is one of the best pilsners I've had. And, you know, and I had had some experience with pilsner before that. I really liked Victory Prima pills when I was living on the East coast, um, you know, there's a few other good breweries back there that yeah. were making great Pilsner at the time. It, I think it was a little more common on the East Coast. Um, and then obviously, you know, Trumer is a classic that, you know, that we love um, out here on the West Coast. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of it. It was like intentionally saying, okay, we're going to do a lightly dry hopped Pilsner that's roughly in the German style. And then, um, you know, we'd fallen in love with the Saphir hop from Germany, which was a relatively new aroma variety from Germany. I don't think it was brand new at the time, but it wasn't super popular yet. And uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's like a classic German character, but it's just got a little hint of this nice kind of lemongrass um, and floral quality to it that we really love. And, um, and that's how the beer came together pretty much. And we just, we've kept it relatively consistent over the years. So, you know, it's like Pilsners, there's not a whole lot of room to change over time. You know, I feel like with IPAs, we're constantly tweaking dry hops based on crop year and, you know, and as the IPA style evolves, we subtly tweak the recipe over time. But, you know, Pivo is a very simple beer. It's basically just, you know, German Pilsner malt and uh, a couple of German hop varieties and yeah. um, pretty much doesn't change. Well, I share the love for it. And we've definitely seen it Italian style Pilsner more and more as a result of, of course, Tipo Pils out of Italy and uh, Pivo Pils from Firestone. Um, and just because you mentioned 805 is now the flagship brand, do you feel like 805 kind of scratches a similar itch for Pilsner? Light, lower alcohol, refreshing effervescent or do you really feel that it's a different animal yeah that's interesting and, I, and I, i've thought a lot about that and I, I really think essentially it's the same thing i mean it's not it has a roundness to it and i think interestingly um you know 805 i, I think is most similar if i'm going to put it in the in the like pantheon of lighter more mainstream beers that do well it's somewhere close to mexican lagers for the most part where they tend to have like a very slight kind of fruitiness to them for lager and they tend to be a little sweeter. And I think 805, you know, um, it's got a little bit of that honey quality to it and it's a little rounder, but at the same time, it's dry and really drinkable. So it kind of hits both sides where it's got really high drinkability. It's very approachable, but it's, it's got a full flavor that is something that people look for when they're going beyond, you know, just the kind of mainstream American beers, which tend to be drier, lighter, you know, um, then and that's just how that hues. But I think if you go from like a, you know, Anheuser-Busch lager, you know, just any of the bud products to like a Modelo or something, you know, it's usually a little fuller. And it's the same thing with 805. But we've done that as an ale. And I think for us, we just wanted to see, you know, we were mostly an ale brewery that also did. It's, we've always done both, you know. So it's just interestingly how that worked out. But I will say, so for 805 Cerveza, it's not the same beer. So it's brewed with lime, but it's not 805 brewed with lime. It actually is a lager. So we actually started from a different base for that beer. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And since Firestone Walker has had, what, about 25 years to figure this out now, uh, what makes Firestone Walker different in the market? Just given the sheer number of breweries today, what distinguishes Firestone Walker? Well, I mean, I, I think it is 805, you know, it is. and it's, it's hard to get away from when, when talking about, yeah, Firestone. So 805 is the majority of our production and it's, um, you know, for a craft brewery, that's pretty rare. You know, these days, almost every other craft brewery of any significant size is leading with IPA. 
and you know we're not IPA or pale ale, right? And we're not. And I, you know, and so I think that does make us a little bit different. And um, and yeah, I, I'm always conscious of that. You know, we brew a lot of IPAs, but you know they're not the majority of what we do. Whereas you know if I look at any of the other kind of top ten, you know, BA craft brewers, it's pretty much IPA all the way down. Yeah, nice. I see. So tell us more about your approach to loggers, um, specifically at the Propagator, your research and development facility. So, you know, I love brewing loggers and I'm super passionate about them. And I try to get basically as many on the schedule as I can, um, you know, whether it's like exploring, you know, Czech loggers. We, you know, we started getting more into that over the last year, uh, you know, Czech dark loggers, Czech pilsners, um, or yeah, doing, you know, different kinds of traditional German styles and then innovating new stuff, you know, getting really into West Coast Pilsners, um, you know, just trying, yeah, new combinations of things. You know, I think we've always had like, a, you know, with Pivo, it's always a little bit different of an approach, not super traditionalist. So using our kind of house style and approach, we've brewed a lot of stuff kind of in that vein, dry hops Pilsners, you know, whether it's like with New Zealand hops or other ones with German hops and, you know, kind of kind of trying out that stuff. So I, I kind of love the whole spectrum from traditional German and Czech style all the way up until kind of new style. Um, and yeah, you know, we have a, a German brew house. So we have a Casper Schultz brew house from Bamberg, Germany. So we can do nice. traditional German step mashing, decoctions, the whole thing. So a very similar brew house. If you go to the Franconia region in Germany, a lot of the breweries there have essentially the same brew house we have. So, um, so yeah, so it's very good at making that kind of beer. And then, uh, yeah, you know, small seller. I, I'd say the 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 point that I'm the least stoked on is that, you know, I wish I had more tanks, more lagering tanks, stuff like that. You know, I'm envious of brewers that can just put a beer away for 12 weeks and forget about it. Um, we don't have that luxury here. So I do have to focus on, you know, producing the highest quality beer on a shorter time frame. So I think that's, um, that's really made us focus on, you know, tightening up the beer and making the cleanest beer possible because, um, you know, not that lagering fixes bad beer, but, you know, there's a few things, depending on how you brew, that, you know, longer lagering does help with. And that's partially why lagering was developed, is that it made a better beer after time. Because, you know, the beers traditionally, you know, back then, especially in the 1800s and earlier, they had a lot of issues with fermentation and the ingredients and everything like that. So they found the lagering process really smoothed the beers out and made them more drinkable and crisper and everything. And so today, lagering is still useful, but you just really have to focus on making the, you know, the cleanest, best balanced beer right off the bat if you don't have the luxury of, you know, so, I mean, well, I can do four or five weeks, you know, which isn't, isn't nothing, but it's not the traditional approach that you'll see with a lot of lager specialty brewers in the U S that are like, you know, eight, eight weeks minimum or 10 weeks or something like that. Oh, sure. But you're saying you can lager for at, at the very least, uh, 30 days, four to five weeks. And I think it's incredible that your, your brew house there is modeled, um, both purchased from and modeled after Franconia or what you would find in Germany there. Um, that's extraordinary. And of course, space is a commodity here in Los Angeles. So you do what you can yeah. with your limitations and you're doing it well. Um, do you have a favorite style to brew or to drink for that matter? I, yes. I mean, it has to be Pilsner. Um, you know, I, and I guess I can narrow it down and say, uh, probably something loosely in the German Pilsner style. It's just mm -hmm. tough though, because I love the, the nuances of the different approaches to Pilsner and how with just, you know, uh, this beer that displays a nice balance between, you know, just light malt character, you know, it's going to be Pilsner malt. So obviously you can't get too crazy, but even within Pilsner malt, you can get Pilsner malt from different regions, North American malts versus Czech malts, German malts, Belgian malts, French malts. I mean, you know, you can do a lot with that. And then, um, yeah, just, you know, classic hop character. 
And there's a, you know, such a large spectrum within that. So I think within the model of Pilsner, this, you know, hop focused, but, you know, relatively balanced and drinkable beer, there's so much diversity and, uh, you know, you could almost never get bored, um, just geeking out on all the different things you can do with Pilsner. So, I mean, maybe that's a bit of a cop out saying like, I'm taking all the Pilsners and, and lumping them into one because there is so much variety, but, um, but yeah, I love that. I mean, I, I don't know if I would count like West coast Pilsner in that just because like a heavily dry hopped mosaic Pilsner, you know, is a yeah. fundamentally different flavor profile, but, yeah. um, but you know, we do call it Pilsner because it seems to relate the best to people. Well, Pilsner for the win. I feel like the propagator even hosted the Pills and Love Festival at one point some years ago. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, and that this, was uh, 2018. And this is just true to its name, Pilsner from yeah. domestically, internationally, just gathering for the love of the style. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah, it was, you know, let's get breweries from all around the world that are passionate about Pilsner all to come to one place to meet up and have this awesome weekend where we're all pouring beer. And, you know, it was one of those things where... I think more brewers go than anybody else, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, but for the, the real fans of Pilsner, they got the opportunity to go to this and, you know, and obviously there's been subsequent ones hosted in other locations and, and the original was in Italy. Yeah. Um, so we weren't the first to do it, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's an awesome experience. And, you know, and I've seen that actually growing a little bit, um, you know, other breweries have done lager and Pilsner focused festivals now. And I, I think those are awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, it's a beautiful thing. Pilsner is a world I want to live in. Can you tell us why does this matter? Why does Pilsner matter? Why does Lager matter? Why are we talking about this? Why do you devote year-round production to it at Firestone Walker? Wow. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I do think that um, for me, it's like the essential beer, you know? Um, if you take beer down to its essence, down to the core of what beer is, I think Pilsner is kind of standing there in front of you. And that's what makes it so beautiful. Because it's just like, I, I'm just going to do basic, you know, if I combine barley and hops and, you know, I mean, I, essentially you can make two different beers with that. I mean, you know, once you get into yeast strains, obviously, but if you want the yeast to kind of get out of the way and let the, the barley, which is really the soul of the beer, the main, you know, ingredient, if you want to let that shine, a lager yeast is the perfect yeast to do that because it, it allows them all to express itself most purely. So, yeah. So to me, lager yeast, clean fermentation, and then, you know, yeah, whatever hops you want to use for flavoring, but it's just, that's it. That's the beer. Um, I mean, I guess you could go a lighter lager as well. And, you know, we can, you know, obviously, you know, a German Helles or an export, you know, originally was a derivative of a Pilsner, right? So when Pilsners went to Germany, some of them stayed hoppy. And then, you know, in some regions, they didn't like hops as much. They wanted less bitter beers. So they turned into, you know, a Helles, but they were all influenced by Pilsner originally. So I think you've got to go back to that. And that's why, you know, Pilsner Urkel will forever be the uh, the goat. It's the greatest. And, you know, you have to pay your respects. <laughs> so you're saying just beer in one of its most true, one of its most satisfying, one of its most fundamental forms. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. I just think everything springs forth from it. Yes. Uh, yes. You are making me thirsty. So I'll drink to that. <laughs> mm. Uh, what foods would you pair with lagers? The propagator is also obviously a brew pub with a full kitchen. Uh, what food do you like to pair with lager personally? I think it, it, you know, it works really well with a lot of different foods. So, um, you know, tacos for sure. Love a good Pilsner with tacos. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, pizza, it's like kind of going back to the, the Italian thing. Um, it's like, yes, Italian Pilsner, like that extra level of hoppiness and the kind of herbal kind of spicy quality you get with the later hopping really works well with pizza. 
Um, and so, yeah, you know, you wonder, it's funny, the Italians are so good at food and beer and putting that together. And, you know, they they have such a great culinary tradition. So, uh, got to give a nod to that. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I mean, traditional German stuff, you know, I was just over in Germany last fall, went to Oktoberfest and went around to some breweries and, um, and yeah, just, you know, just that kind of elemental, you know, sausages, pretzels, roast chicken, you know, everything. Um, yeah, yeah, it just all works. You know, it's like, I I like, you know, pairing for me, you can do a lot, you know, I mean, some beers are very versatile and you can pair with a lot, but at the same time, that culture that the beer came from the food of that culture, a lot, you know, a lot of the time it evolves kind of alongside each other. So it's always fun to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Delicious. So let's say it's your last meal. Your condition is terminal. What do you eat? What do you drink? You know, this is hard. I, this is so hard for me to answer. You know, I'm not, I'm not that kind of person who's like, I have a favorite food, you mm-hmm. know, but um, yeah, I, I would probably want, you know, like the best pizza in the world. You know, when it comes down to it, I, I, I do love just probably a, a Neapolitan style, um, something, you know, out of a, a wood fired oven with like the perfect sourdough crust and just all the perfect toppings and, you know, maybe I could get like a half one thing and half the other if I'm cheating. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's allowed for your last meal. And okay. uh, what do you, what do you pair it with? What do you drink with it? Uh, I'm probably whatever our latest Pilsner is that we've been working on, whatever that recipe is, um, yeah. you know, because that probably represents the thing I'm most fired up on, you know? Um, but if I'm going to pick a concrete, you know, classic beer, I'm going to have to throw a curveball and say it's going to be an Orval. Oh, really? It's not, it's not a lager. I don't know if that's allowed. Of course that's allowed. I love it. So you would have an Orval, one of the defining and probably most unique Trappist beers out there and beers in the world for that matter with the perfect, did you say sourdough crust pizza? Yeah. I love it. Generally, I mean, and again, anything is allowed. All is permitted. And when it comes to beer and food pairing or just food pairing in general, like goes with like and everything you're saying rings true about classic beers like pilsner to classic foods like pizza of course that works well but i find that people will find harmony in whatever they like to eat and drink when they put it together oh yeah yeah so uh yeah you can most definitely have your or ball and your sourdough pizza my friend um is there anything else you want to say to new beer drinkers out there to more seasoned professionals and tell us how we follow you and how do fans see what's next for Firestone Walker Brewing Company? Well, yeah, um, you know, we're here in Venice Beach in Los Angeles um, and, you know, Propagator's open seven days a week, full restaurants. You know, we usually have about 30 to slightly more Firestone beers on tap and, you know, all our barrel-aged beers to go and everything like that and bottles if you like picking up that stuff. So I always encourage people to visit. Um, we're pretty close to LAX, so it's a great stop in and out if you're visiting Los Angeles. Uh, we definitely get a lot of travelers coming through here. Um, and yeah, we're uh, Firestone underscore Propagator on Instagram. And, uh, you know, you can find us basically on any social media there. Also just Firestone Walker for everything that's going on with us. Um, and yeah, um, I don't know if I'm going to add something. I, I would just say, you know, I think lager for me, it took getting into the heavier side of craft beer in order to come around and appreciate lager. Um, I think that at the time there was more of a bias against it in some beer circles. 
against, you know, it, things seen as too close to macro beer, I guess, among beer geeks. And now I feel like um, as the beer culture in the U.S. has matured more as we've gone through such rapid growth and so much evolution, it's great to see so many people appreciating Pilsners and Lagers again and uh, and to be able to, like, see all the energy behind it in the industry. And it's just it's just awesome. So, you know, I, I think for for everybody out there, you know, it's like – yeah, you know, get it out of your system, drink the barrel-aged beers, drink the sours, drink all the biggest IPAs, like just find what you love, you know, but, um, but yeah, I mean, there's a reason that brewers love drinking Pilsners. I think it's because, you know, the people that are closest to it appreciate that it's, you know, like I said, it's the elemental beer. And so that's why we love it so much. Very well said, Sam, and so much agreed. That's why we do what we do. I think we're on this path together and it really does lead full circle back to lager beer. If for nothing else, just the sake of longevity in this industry and outside of it for that matter. So thank you very much, Sam Tierney. Thank you, Firestone Walker. I'm going to say thank you to Fluffhead Pills. Um, many thanks to our producer, Jeremy Batchelor. If you like what you heard, please follow No Life Till Lager. Subscribe, hit like on social media. Help us hit the road and make a better kind of beer show. Good night and good lager. Cheers, Sam. Cheers. Thank Man. you. No! <laughs>